Some acts are harder to follow than others. This one's going to be pretty tough, but uh, the good news about doing it, one of the great things about doing it this way is they're downstairs drying off and, and getting, uh, getting, getting changed and everything like that, and they'll be back up here for communion time, so that's, uh, that's great. Christmas is in three days. Are, is everybody ready for it? When I was a kid, it was about at this point when I would usually be so excited that I felt like I couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't concentrate when I was in school. And, you know, we usually had to do half days on Christmas Eve. And we had it rough. We didn't have this whole week off like you kids have now. And it seemed like I couldn't really do anything other than stare at the presents under the tree. Now that I'm older, I'm not nearly so fixated on presents. And, and that's good, you know, but I find that Christmas has become less less magical to me, and, and that's not so good. I, I still like Christmas, but as you get older, it becomes more difficult. You enjoy seeing your family over Christmas, but there's a lot of work to do to get ready, whether people are coming over to your house or if you're going to go to your home of your parents, your other family members. Someone's here, I think, flown in from Kentucky recently. Is that right? Uh, exactly right. Uh, and, and getting ready and getting your calendar cleared like that, that's, that's kind of tough. And, in it, and, you know, it's great to give gifts, and it's great to see people and enjoy those gifts. You, you love to give a gift that's just the right one for the person, and they, they really like it, and, they, and a kid's eyes light up, and it, or someone really says, hey, this is great, I can use, this is useful to me. But shopping can be such a pain in the neck and, and a pain in a wallet. And maybe your work is such that even though it's Christmas and you maybe get an extra day or two off of work, Sometimes that just adds to your workload. Many jobs are, are measured by, by the projects completed or the material produced or, or shipped or, or sold or hours billed or something. And, you know, two consecutive weeks with holidays on a Wednesday just really kind of mess those things up, you know. Or maybe your family situation is complicated and the expectations surrounding Christmas just make things more difficult, emotionally speaking. At our house, we're more focused this year on the sale of our home, making preparations to move out of it next month, and upon the, our penny move to Cambodia in March. So Christmas has kind of almost been an afterthought uh, this year. Pam's looking for things that, to give away as gifts, and that's not even a joke. It's uh, uh, at the, the Bartoldus Law uh, dinner the other night, uh, all, the, all the Christmas gifts that were given by, by her were things that were hanging on our walls and, and uh, on our shelves and stuff like that that she thought maybe someone else could enjoy because we're not taking taking them with us. Um, the late, well, let me just say, Christmas is sometimes a difficult thing at times. A.W. Tozer, the late A.W. Tozer, the historian and writer, said, Christmas came to bring peace, and we celebrate his coming by making, no, excuse me, Christ come to, boy, I'm not, all of a sudden I can't talk. Yes, rewind. A.W. Tozer summed it up. He said, Christ came to bring peace, and we celebrate his coming by making peace impossible for six weeks each year. He came to help the poor, and we heap gifts upon those who do not need them. Well, this Christmas morning, I want to just give you three words to focus on in the next few days at Christmas, as Christmas comes, and you're sometimes pulled along in its wake. I'm not aiming for a home run this morning. I don't think that what I say will be something to be drastically changing your lives. But I think that I can give us all in just a few minutes three words to associate with Christmas that will hopefully make it so that come January you can look back and not feel as though Christmas was something that was inflicted upon you, but something that was a, maybe a hectic time, but a time nonetheless that was still a blessing to you and your family. And my three words are no secret. They're in the title of the message. It's printed in the bulletin. But I, I want to take the last one first, and that is the word holiday. 
It's become fashionable in the last few years for followers of Jesus to recoil if someone greets them with a happy holidays, you know, rather than a cheery Merry Christmas. And we say, happy holidays? I don't know about what circles you run in, but around here, we like to focus on the reason for the season. We don't go for that generic holiday stuff. It's, not, it's the Christmas season. It's not Xmas. Hanukkah's over, and Kwanzaa's not even a real holiday to begin with. I'm going to choose Merry Christmas over Happy Holidays any December, my friend. Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but just a bit. The truth is that most of us here probably prefer Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays because to us, it is about Jesus, the Christ part of Christmas. That's what we like to focus on. Still, it's not like holiday is a bad word. You know what the word holiday means, don't you? As I understand it, holiday is from the old English word for holy day. <clears throat> and in medieval times, holiday referred to special, a special religious day. Nowadays, we have secular holidays or non-religious holidays, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, Labor Day, um, New Year's Day, all these other days. And we have religious holidays. We have Easter. We have Christmas. We have Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> now, to some of you, that's a religious event, I know, depending on who's playing. But the point is that Christmas was and still can be a holy day if you choose to make it one. In Romans 14, Paul is detailing how it is that an, an activity or a practice can be perfectly fine for one person, but it can be sin for another person. And he, he makes a long argument, but basically he says that for many things, the good or the bad are found in the reason behind the doing, not the doing itself. And this is what he writes in verse 5. I know uh, we've got a, should have a slide there. Well, I knew we had a slide there. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to, do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You know, over the years, I've run into uh, some Christians who are very anti-Christmas. And they say things like, well, you know, it's not a holiday the Bible says we should celebrate, which is true. They'll say December 25th was a pagan Roman holiday, and that's true. It was the birthday of Saul Invictus, the unconquerable sun. And, the, and, they, and just after the solstice, they celebrated the fact that, hey, the days are going to start to get longer again and spring's going to come. And they'll say the tree was, was a, a, a pagan Norse uh, symbol. Well, that's true, too. And they say, well, since the Bible doesn't tell us that when Jesus' birthday was, then we really shouldn't celebrate it. And my response has always been, if you don't want to celebrate it, then fine. Don't celebrate it. Just do not judge me, please, because I choose to see it as a holiday, a holy day. And if I set that day apart as a day to honor God, then that seems to be my right if I understand the Apostle Paul correctly. So, I would just say, let us each try to make Christmas a holy day holiday this year. On Christmas, set aside some time to express gratitude for the fact that Jesus came to this earth and lived for a time in the tent that was his earthly, mortal, human body. 
As you give and receive gifts, remember that they are an honor and in memory of that very first Christmas gift, which we still receive today. As you enjoy the company of your families, remember that even though things are constantly changing, and we often regret losing touch with the past. Oh, when I was a kid, we used to do this, and it had so much meaning for me. Or this person is gone, is not here anymore, and I sure miss them. Remember that this life is not all that there is because Jesus came on that first Christmas. We don't only live once. YOLO is wrong, kids. You don't only live once. If you're a believer, you live forever. Make Christmas Day holy by honoring the Lord in a way that is meaningful to you. On Easter, we celebrate his coming back from the dead and what that means for us. So what could be wrong with celebrating his first coming as a baby on Christmas? Holiday, holy day, is the first word. The second word is subversive. And it might seem an odd word to associate with Christmas, but bear with me a bit. To subvert something is to overthrow it, usually by indirect means. Subversion isn't coming at something from the front directly. It's a, it's a stealth campaign. The prefix sub means from below, and vert means uh, comes from the Latin for to turn. So to subvert something is to, to turn it from below, not in a way that would be expected, but a kind of a sneak attack. And there is something subversive about Christmas. Think about one of the most famous Christmas stories of all, A Christmas Carol, Dickens. The, the rich and powerful Scrooge is brought to his knees by Christmas ghosts, while the poor and lowly Bob Cratchit rises above his circumstances to find true, do- true joy. How about Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer? The poor little misfit can't even join in the reindeer games, let alone hope to earn a place on Santa's team. But an unexpected storm turns his disability into an asset, and he becomes a hero. How about the folks down in Whoville? The Grinch thinks that he's ruined their Christmas by stealing their stockings and their presents, but they turn the tables on him and wake up singing anyway. And next thing you know, the Grinch is carving the roast beast. And how about good old Charlie Brown? Everyone tells him he has to have a big, brassy tree and flashy Christmas pageant, but he refuses to go along. He buys the saddest tree that money can buy. And with a little help from Linus in Luke chapter 2, he discovers the true meaning of Christmas. See, there's something subversive about Christmas. It overthrows the established order. It turns things upside down. But we shouldn't be surprised at that. It's always been that way. And in many ways, the birth of Jesus was a subversive event in and of itself. We're going to look at Luke, 6, uh, Luke 1, 26, when the angel appeared to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, we've all heard that passage many, many times. So what could be subversive about it? Well, think about who the angel came to. The angel did not come to someone in power. The angel didn't come to a priest or a politician, but to a poor person. 
Not even to a man, for that matter, but to a woman. And there was something upside down about that. Now, nowadays, we wouldn't think of that. But back then, this teenage Jewish girl was one of the most insignificant people that existed in that culture. See, Christmas begins at the bottom of the social order. And how about the notion of a child being born to a virgin? That's certainly not the established order of things. But the revolutionary nature of this visit comes, becomes more evident when we come to the words that the angel spoke. You will give birth to a son. He will be great. The throne of his father, David. His kingdom will never end, says the angel. Now remember that at this time, the Jews were a very oppressed people. And they have been oppressed at this time for a very long time. Their land is occupied by the Roman soldiers. They are ruled by these Roman-appointed governors. And even their local officials are corrupt and they don't have their best interests at heart. They're not slaves exactly, but they are in effect held hostage by the people in power over them. Their, the empire allows them to practice their religion so long as they pay their taxes and bow to Rome's authority. They're economically depressed and oppressed too. There's no middle class in ancient Palestine. There's a small, wealthy, and, and powerful class within Judaism, but the majority of people are living day to day, or maybe at best, season to season. And for a long time now, the people have been dreaming of a better day, of freedom from under Rome's uh, authority, freedom to pursue their own destiny as individuals and as a nation. And suddenly, behind closed doors, a messenger comes with news of someone who's going to set them free, uh, news of a kingdom that's never going to end. And that kind of talk was treasonous in a place like Rome. Remember, it is this message that scares Herod so much that he orders all babies in Bethlehem be executed. The angel is talking about setting Israel free. And we're so used to hearing this message that we forget it, is, it was nothing short of revolutionary in its day. Now, where am I going with this? Well, the fact is that when Jesus first showed up, it was wholly unexpected and it was almost universally unwelcomed. But still, it was the greatest news for people who were oppressed by their government, by the rich, and by their own sinfulness. And yet, what do we do that is the least bit subversive or revolutionary in the celebration of this revolution? And, you know, if someone says, well, what we do, it's different, is we're not having turkey or ham this year. You know, we're going to have pizza. Just save it. That's not what I'm talking about. Maybe we should try to recapture a bit of the revolutionary spirit of that first advent. Maybe this year, or in this case, next year more likely, we really do what we've been talking about for ages, and we actually cut way back on what we spend on our families, our children, and ourselves. Maybe instead we give more money to charities or to ministries or to other worthwhile causes than we spend on people that we are related to. Maybe we ruthlessly cut out of our lives anything we say we have, uh, anything that we have say so over that makes Christmas season unbearable to us. Maybe we start small and we put down our smartphones and our eye devices for one whole day and instead we focus solely on the people that we are physically with on Christmas Day. Maybe we educate ourselves about truly oppressed people and we take on a project to give orphans in Mexico better gifts than they have ever gotten before. Now these are just a few ideas off the top of my head, but I, I would urge you to think, think creatively about this. Think subversively about Christmas. Maybe ask yourself, what could I do or what could our family do that is just, just a little bit out there, you know? 
but in a way that would shock people for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you the truth. When you start to think about what you could, but what you usually don't do, things can start to happen that you never really saw coming. Now, I have the third and last word, and that word is impossible. For this, I want to read a short essay by an internet friend of mine, Jennifer Johnson, who she writes for the Christian Standard. And this essay was on her blog last month and is titled, A Letter to Christmas. She writes, Dear Christmas, I'm ready for you this year. Last week, one of my mentors, in the middle of a discussion about my ongoing transition to Pennsylvania, trying to serve our small church in ways that make sense, continuing to adjust to marriage, stepmomming Matt's two teenagers, dealing with ever-escalating levels of Jerry Springer from their mother, filing for increased custody of the kids, juggling freelance work for seven or eight clients, researching the development of a new company, preparing to to start grad school, attempting to be a good friend-slash-daughter-slash-sister-in-law, dealing with all the other demands of life, reading the occasional book so I have some connection to my brain, and running a few times a week so I can cling to a size six with a death grip, said, you do give yourself permission to know this this is impossible, right? What do you mean, I said. It's not impossible. I'm doing it. And pretty damn well most of the time, he answered. But I repeat the question, do you give yourself permission to know it's impossible? He's right, of course. Some mornings it feels impossible. Some mornings I wake up and I think, I cannot do what I need to do today. I cannot be who I have to be today. And then I get up and do it and be it. And now I'm a little colder and sadder and older and I need a little Christmas now. So I'm here to, ready, so I'm ready for you this year. I need candles. Heck, I need twinkly lights. I need to hear, oh, holy night, until I want to punch someone. I need sentimental specials on TV and a slow dance with Matt in front of the Christmas tree and a road trip to Cincinnati and a few hours of goodwill toward men. I need to believe a seventh-grade girl who cares only about texting and TV will eventually prioritize something significant. I need to believe people can spiritually grow, even in little Levittown, and that eventually leaders will emerge. I need to believe all this work matters, that the daily decision to do the right things for the right reasons will eventually pay off beyond simply allowing me to sleep at night. This year, I need to remember the impossible is possible. Well, Christmas is about the impossible, isn't it? Listen to a a bit of Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while he was still a, she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. A virgin will conceive a child. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I know that something like that is impossible. Lord Coggan, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, said, When God intends to make something wonderful, he begins with a difficulty. (coughs) When he intends to make something 
very wonderful, he begins with an impossibility. When God intends to make something wonderful, he begins with a difficulty. When God intends to make something very wonderful, he begins with an impossibility. Maybe your Christmas has been shaping up to be impossible. Maybe your family will be impossible. You love them, but you're going, oh, I just don't know if I can handle two days with them or what have you. Maybe it will be your attitude that is impossible. Or maybe it's your bank balance that's going to be impossible. Or worse, your credit card bills come January 1. Maybe you are dreading this coming Wednesday for any number of reasons. Well, remember that in Jesus, God has done, is doing the impossible. So, like I said, I've got three words for you this morning. Holiday, make it a holy day. Think about being subversive in how you celebrate Christmas. And remember, remember that Christmas is about the impossible becoming possible. And that's what we're celebrating. That's what we come together for. Not just on Christmas Day or on Christmas Eve, but each and every Sunday. God sent Jesus Christ so that we can join him. And we can do as, as Charlie and Emily have done and commit our lives to following him. Now, I'm going to pray in a little bit, and then we're going to sing a little town of Bethlehem. But you know, that water is, is still plenty warm. And, and so if it, maybe you're sitting out here, and this just occurred to me. Be careful, he's going off notes, folks. But maybe you're sitting out here, and, and you're going, wow, I need to do what I saw Charlie and Emily do. Well, you can do that. You can do that today. So if, as we, as we sing this song, this is something you want to do, just find your way down here, and, uh, and, and, and Gene will come and meet you there because he's not playing the fiddle today, and, and, and we'll see what, uh, maybe you need to get baptized. The water's still warm. I'm, it, was, it was pretty warm in there, so uh, it hasn't gone cold yet. So if you need to do that, then don't hesitate. What are you waiting for? You can, but you don't have to, not today. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the impossibility of what you do for us. Take away our sin and join us to you. We are not worthy of that. We know that is what is true. And yet we also know it is true that you sent your son Jesus. He came as a baby, and we love our babies. But he grew into a man. And most importantly, he died on the cross for us. Showed your love for us, just how much you do care.